That was gathering, so you weren't late or anything like that, but um, we, uh, we just welcome you. I want to welcome you to the service, and I'm so thankful that you braved the rain, the torrential rain this morning. Um, uh, if you had to cross any puzzles, hopefully you didn't need a boat to get to shore, but, uh, but thank God that you made it here safe and are here to worship with us, so I just thank you for that. I wanted to begin uh, with a, a scripture 
that I was reminded of. It's just, I like to start with scripture uh, and, and prayer because I think that when we get ourselves right with God, everything else kind of lines up. So every day, um, scripture is so vital to get you on the right track in the right way. And so this is just something that I was uh, reminded of, uh, wonderful promises of God. And this particular one is from Ephesians, chapter 2, 12 and 13. And so it says, my eyes are old. Let's see. It says, remember that at the time, at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. There is hope, and we are brought near to our God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity. We thank you for your love that just, uh, your lavishing, overwhelming, abundant love that you give to each and every one of us in the hope that we have, um, but not just in the resurrection, but in our lives here, that we would have make a difference. We would have a purpose. Our eternity starts when we are born in you. And we thank you so much for the opportunity to get to know you. And for whatever, I want to thank you especially for whatever brought uh, the people here today, for whatever reasons we may have been, um, been brought here. It is all of you and by you. And we love you for that. And it's in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ, that we put our faith in. Amen. All right, now, um, if you would, if you would stand and join me, and we will sing some worship songs together, uh, calling upon the name of our God. It is you. Bye. 
Absolutely. Um, what a try at Madison County. I understand. Um, yeah. Would you would would you all let's let's say a prayer right now and, and bow our heads um, in prayer for them, Lord God. Um, it's hard, so hard. Uh, living our lives. Our, our lives are up and down with joy and pain, uh, and it only takes a minute to change from one to the other. But Father, you are in it all. You've, you've sacrificed. You understand everything that we're going through, and Lord, we just pray for an anointing of the Holy Spirit and special um, for this family, uh, these families that, that were there and everybody impacted in this tragic event. Uh, Lord, that you would be there with them and know that you are in and above it all uh, and give them a peace, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Um, 
And that's kind of appropriate for the, this next song. It's called The Last Word. And no matter what we go through, it's a comfort to know that Jesus Christ always has the last word that it is finished.
darkness in you we are more than conquerors amen you may be seated special word from the journey home worship team. How wonderful to be led to the throne before our message today. Um, I'm Debbie Reed with The Journey Home. My husband Ed is in the sound box up there and we are excited to be here with you this morning and share what God has been doing. Um, I spoke to Louisa Baptist a little over a year ago so it may be uh, familiar to some of you but we're going to give you a little bit of an update and also um, refresh your memory and for those that you of you that are not familiar with the journey home will tell you a little bit about it. Um, we're asking that you pray with us and join us in what God's doing in Louisa County. This was a vision that he gave um, for a transition home to be built in the town of Mineral for Louisa County residents that need a temporary place to live, a place to kind of rebuild their lives, get back on their feet. Uh, our mission statement is, is up before you and it, it will be a place that is focused on Christ and helping people to rebuild. Um, and our vision is that we imagine people will be with us 12 to 18 months. It takes that long for people to kind of come to the root causes of what's going on in their life that's led to their um, homeless situation. And think of it as we are all broken people. We are going to come alongside of other people that are broken and show them the Lord be his hands and feet to them and pray with them and hope that they come to know the Lord, who's the one that's going to give them the hope and healing they need in their lives. Uh, they have many strengths. We're going to help them find that. And then we're going to use many different resources in our community that God provides through organizations and churches uh, to help people as well. Um, we're excited to, we're going to show you a, a picture. Um, it, it's a little bit hard to tell on here, but we have 1.7 acres in the town of Mineral. It's near the ball field, for those that are familiar with that. It's also uh, pretty close to Mineral Baptist Church on Lee Street. Um, and then our next slide is, is the architect's rendering of, of the building. We're very excited. It's been uh, several years of hard work to get to this point, but we had wonderful news this week. We have enough resources at this point that um, we're proceeding with groundbreaking, which will probably be early uh, in August. It takes a little while to get those permits, but it is definitely a God thing, and we are so excited about what he's been doing. I could talk all week about what he's been doing to make this happen. Um, some of the things that we're going to be offering to, to our guests will be things that we're inviting the community to join us in. It would be like after-school tutoring, um, transportation, coaching, um, the life coaching, uh, ongoing Bible studies that we would love to have people come and, and teach the word. Um, we're also going to be teaching them about meal preparation. The building itself has a common kitchen, and the residents are going to come together to cook, to clean up. They will have responsibilities in the home, and we're going to come alongside of them because some of them haven't learned how to cook yet. So many things like this will be services that we're going to be offering to our guests. 
Uh, we also are going to have something called the Next Step Program. When they transition out of the journey home, we are in the process of looking for and building um, small homes for people to move into so we can keep um, a relationship going with them and yet they can become more independent. And that's, that's our goal, that they become independent members of our community. Uh, we need to raise $2 million and we are halfway there, which is pretty amazing. Uh, God has just given us such favor, and we have been blessed with so many generous people in our community and in surrounding communities to help us. This just tells you a little bit about what we need. Um, this shows the assets that we have so far. We have purchased and paid for the land, all our off-site work. We have cash in the bank, and we've gotten several really large grants. Again, God's favor. Um, we have not asked for any government grants. These are all private grants. Uh, part of it is we don't want any restrictions. We want to be able to preach the word. <laughs> Um, we recently received a challenge grant, which we're very excited about. It's for $150,000, and each dollar that we raise will be um, part of this challenge grant. So we're excited. We had recently had an auction, and 20000 was made there, which is great. Um, and we're inviting you to consider how God might want you to be involved. Uh, it may be something financial. We believe that God is calling many others in this community, and we're very blessed. There are several already in your congregation. I see Betty and Shirley here, and there's others that have been very involved from the beginning in the journey home. But we believe God is calling many to be involved. There's a great need in our community. When we first began uh, this process, we understood that there were 66 kids in our school district that were homeless. That means they were living either in a family car or a tent or an aunt's porch. That number is now up to 80. So it, it's growing. The need is growing. There was a young man, 18 years old, that aged out of foster care. And <clears throat> he had no place to go but wanted to graduate. And they were, they were asking us if the journey home was done. And I'm, I'll be so excited when we get those calls and we are able to take people and, and help. There will be a process, an application. We will try to determine the best people to be able to uh, stay at our home that have the best uh, motivation and hope for um, becoming independent members of our community. We know that there's going to be a, a great list of people interested. So we are looking for your prayers. Uh, some of you may financially be in a situation that you want to donate. Some of you may have a skill or a desire to help with some of the other things that are needed in the home. Uh, it's an opportunity for the body of Christ to come together in Louisa County. Something that I'm really excited about, I think as much as helping our residents just to see the body of Christ, I mean, even to be with you all today, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we go to Mineral Baptist, but I feel like this is our sister church, and we are excited to be with you today. And, and together we are the body of Christ. Um, God talks about our need to, to come together and minister to the needs of, of people in our community that need help. They might be materially poor, but they do have strengths. They do need people to come alongside and encourage them. And I ask you to join us in this process. And all I can say is God has done amazing things, and to him goes the glory. Thank you.
if you would join, wouldn't mind joining me in prayer. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunities that you give to us to join in the body, to spread your glory, your love, your grace, mercy. So, Lord, this opportunity where we well, get ready to give our tithes, our offerings, help the opportunities that you give us, Lord, to change us, to change who we are, and to be um, with, with joyful hearts giving because we know that our God can multiply and, and is faithful. So, Lord, um, help us be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.
right place. But this morning we're going to be, there we go. This morning we're going to be looking at James chapter 4, verse 1 through 12, as we continue to talk about how we have a growing, vibrant faith. And this morning uh, we're going to be talking about the inner struggle within us. That, that part of us that is continuing to hold us back. On the front of your bulletin, there's a, a picture of two people playing tug-of-war. And sometimes that's kind of like what it feels like inside of us. As the old self, the old nature, those attitudes that have a tendency to, to grasp a hold of our life and, and jerk us back. If you've ever played tug-of-war, you know the feeling of you're on the end of the rope and you're doing everything you can to pull, but you feel your body sliding towards the other side. Sometimes that's how it feels. It's like we're fighting the battle, but we can see ourselves losing. And here what James is, is describing is this inner conflict that all of us, from the moment that we're saved until the moment that Jesus brings us home, continue to struggle with. And it is the fight, the good fight that we might, must fight, that we must win in order to have a growing and vibrant faith. And so this morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 of chapter 4. I would encourage you to stand with me as we read together. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you don't have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scriptures say the spirit he is made to dwell in us envies intensely? But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning. It may mean our, our weakness when it comes to the battle of our hearts. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us, would mold and shape us. And Lord, I pray this morning that each of us would approach you with a spirit of humility, 
recognizing the areas of our life, the dark places of our hearts in which we fall short. And God, I pray that as we come before you, that you would do a work within us, that you would help us to fight the battles that we can't win on our own. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week we talked about how it's important to have peace with one another, to have a growing and, and a vibrant faith. And here what James is telling us as, as he continues this flow of thought is that, you know, where do a lot of those tensions come from that we have with other people? What is the source of the, the wars and, and the fights between us that ultimately the issues with our outside relationships begin with a war of the heart? That we are all in this constant struggle within us to war against these attitudes of the flesh. And until we get a grip on our heart, we will not be able to have peaceful, loving, constructive relationships with those around us. And so here James gives us three battlefields of the heart, three attitudes that we fight and that we must conquer if we are to live a life of, of peace, of joy, and have a faith that is growing and healthy. First of all, James tells us that we are in a war against selfishness. We're in a war against selfishness. In verse 2, what does it say? You desire and you do not have. Verse 3, so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. What James is telling us here is, is that the first attitude in which all of us fight is one of selfishness in which the world revolves around us. You know, for as long as I've been married with Ashton, we, we've kind of, there's certain responsibilities that tend to fall on her and certain responsibilities that tend to fall on me. And one of those is I have always done the grocery shopping. Now, for those of you who have do the grocery shopping in your family, you, you know that one of the worst things that you can do is go to the grocery store when you are hungry. You want everything, right? I mean, you walk in the store and there you walk, there's that bakery section and you got the cinnamon rolls and you got the coffee cake and it's like, I want it all. And then you keep going and, and you get to the ice cream section and man, you, you, you walk by, they got all the fresh food and, and oh, it smells so good. And, and next thing you know, you got a cart that's just like, like this. You came into Walmart for how many items? Two, and now you got a full cart full of stuff. And, you, you know, there's only one thing that's worse than going to the grocery store hungry. And that's going to the grocery store when your kids are hungry. <laughs> because, I mean, it's hard to say no to ourselves, right? But when you say no to your kids and they're like starving, you say no to one little thing and then suddenly we are in meltdown mode. And you just got to 
sometimes even just leave the whole cart and go home. Like, forget it. We're going to go to McDonald's. We're going to get something to eat, and then we'll come back and grocery shop. I'll save $100 just by taking them and getting them a Happy Meal beforehand. But ultimately, what James is, is telling us is that each one of us struggle with this attitude of selfishness. See, selfishness is about the need to have. We want it all. We want possessions. We want position. To a certain extent, we even want people. How do I know that our culture in particular struggles with this desire of selfishness and the need to have? Well, all you got to do is look at our national debt. Did you know that the average American household, I'm not talking about the government, I'm talking about like each one of us. The average American household carries $137,000 of debt with only a median income of $59,000. What that means is, is that we as Americans, even though our country is the richest in the world, that over 90% of us are in the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world. Did you know that if you own a refrigerator, that you are among the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world, yet most of us have more debt than we have possessions or savings. That ultimately, we have been taken captive by the need to have. And not selfishness isn't just about the need to have, it's the need to be the focus. It's about what you want. What is, what is James says? You desire, but you don't have. And that ultimately, that is the, the source of the conflicts among us, that ultimately, all of us desire, but we don't always get what we desire. And so, when we place the, the priority on our own needs, on our own desires, all of the time, that is when we find ourselves with rubs and, and conflict with one another. That ultimately, selfishness is about the idea that not only do I have to have it, I have to have it now, it has to be what I want, but that the world revolves around me. You want to know if you struggle with selfishness in your life? Take a look at your calendar. How much of the time that you have is focused on you and your own pleasure and desire. Look at your checkbook. How much of the resources that God has given you are being used for what you want versus what God is leading you to do? And then three, and I think this, this is the most telling. What happens when you're told no? 
But ultimately, I don't think that there is one thing that is a better indicator of an issue with selfishness in our heart when someone tells us no and what our response is. For many, and you may either know someone like this or you may be that person, they are absolutely fantastic to work with. They're a good coworker. They're a good neighbor. They're a good family member. They're a good church member. But you tell them no on anything. It doesn't matter what it is. The smallest little thing, you say no, and suddenly the bear claws come out. Do we know some of those people? It's okay. Shake your heads. We all, we've all been there, right? And maybe we were there once or twice ourselves. But the truth is, is that if you can't ever be told no, that's the surest indicator that you have an issue of selfishness in your life. Because ultimately, the world doesn't revolve around any of us. James tells us that we're in a war against selfishness. He also tells us we're in a war against pride. Look back with me in verses 6 through 10. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Clean, cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn, weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So last week, I, I told you about the most exciting hike that I've ever been in my lifetime going up Half Dumb. This week, I'm going to tell you about one of the most anticlimactic hikes I've ever been on. We were going to uh, Smoky Mountains, and the day before, I had hiked the longest hike in the park called Thunderhead. It was a 20-mile hike. And so I get back to the camp, and my dad is absolutely exhausted. He can't do anything. He's just sore from top to bottom. I'm a teenager. I was playing soccer. I was doing swim team. And the next day, I was ready to go and do another Thunderhead. But my dad was just absolutely washed out. And so we were bored. We were trying to figure out something to do. And so I look at the map and everything that's around. And I'm like, well, they've got this thing called Laurel Falls. Mom, can you just take us over to Laurel Falls? And my brother and I will hike up and see the waterfall and come back down. It's a little dinky one-mile hike. And so I, my, my mom takes us, and, and we're walking and, you know, the entire time I'm thinking to myself, man, this hike is beneath me. This is paved. This is a paved hike. I just hiked 20 miles to the highest point in the whole park. And I'm, I'm walking up to this dinky little waterfall on this paved path. Man, this is pretty boring. And so as I'm, I'm coming back down from Laurel Falls, we run into this couple who is at the same campsite that we are, and they, they can see that we're a little bit bored, we're looking for something to do, and they say, hey, you know, right across the street, there is a trail that leads back to our campsite. It's only about three miles. You could just go through that trail. Your mom can meet you on the other side. Might be fun. So I get back to the car, and, and there's my mom waiting there, and I say, hey, 
you know, they told us about this trail. It's just three miles, and you'll meet us on the other side. Does that sound good? And, and for whatever reason, she just said, okay. And uh, so my brother and I just start off on the trail, no map, no nothing. We just figured, hey, it'll take us straight there. Well, we're going down this trail, and it, uh, it's going on a little bit longer than we thought. And then we get to this fork in the road, and then suddenly we're like, okay, Something's going on here because there wasn't supposed to be any turns. But here we are, fork in the road. I immediately know, okay, we need to go right because, you know, this other uh, area of the sign, we knew it wasn't there. So we keep walking and walking and walking and walking. Every now and then we'll hear this guy yelling in the woods. And I turn to my brother and was like, Gene, who is that idiot yelling in the woods? And then we keep walking and walking, and we get to another fork in the road. And this time, we didn't really know which way to go. I thought I knew. My brother was sure he knew. But both of us thought we should go different ways. And so there we are, standing right in front of this fork in the road with a little stream running by. And we're standing there arguing about, well, should we go left or should we go right? And I'll just go ahead and tell you. I was bound and determined I was going to get my way. I was the oldest. I was going to make the decision. I knew where we needed to go. And then next thing you know, there's my dad who walks up, the idiot yelling in the woods. Because when my mom got back to the campsite, she told my dad what was going on, and he pulls out the map, and he realizes that this three-mile trail was just one leg of a 10-mile hike, and along the way, there were several places where if we choose the wrong way, we end up on the other side of the park. And so there we are. He walks up, catches us right before we end up making a decision which way to go. He's got a map, and what do you know? I was going to go the wrong way. It was a little bit of a humbling experience. And when I look back, I, I think to myself, you know, what is pride really all about? Well, first of all, it's about the need to be right. That ultimately, as we, we walk through this life, many of us, and I would say to a certain extent all of us, at different points in our life, struggle with the idea that maybe, just maybe, we don't always know everything. That maybe we're not always right. That maybe we don't always make the right choice. That there are others around us who see things differently and sometimes better than what we see them. And, and to get to the point where we realize, I made a mistake. I'm not seeing this the right way. It kind of pricks at our pride a little bit, where we have to stand there and admit, you know what? I was wrong. I was going to take us the wrong way. And here what James is telling us is that, that God wants to freely give us grace, but for us to receive his grace, it starts with us admitting that we need it. That you can't receive the grace of God if you're not willing to even admit that you need to accept it. That pride 
It's about the need to be right, the refusal to admit fault, and the need to be in control. That all of us want to feel like we are in control of our lives, that we're the ones who get to make the decision, that we're the ones who get to grab a hold of our destiny and to set the course of our future. You know, this is, once again, a very American thing. That all of us want to feel like that if we just work hard, dream big, that we can control our destiny. And the reality is, in this life, the idea of control is an illusion. All you got to do is live through a natural disaster and you realize how much of your life is really outside of your control. All you got to do is have you or one of your family members contract a disease and you suddenly realize how out of control you are in your life. But ultimately, the secret to real stability Real control is laying it all down at the feet of the one who actually is. And when we come to the throne of God, we see who really is on the throne. We're in a war against selfishness, against pride. And finally, we're in a war against judgment. It says, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges, a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? In the last two years, an estimated 65,000 people have died in car crashes. One in 10 of those involved a distracted driver. So if you were going to kind of break it down, 2% of those who were distracted were distracted by some kind of device. You know, they're, they're fiddling with something. This is the case with my very first accident. I don't know if y'all ever, you know, if you're old enough to remember these young people, you probably aren't. And it's, it's good, I guess, for now. But, you know, when I, w when I was in the car, uh, I had a cassette tape player. Yeah, you know, that thing where you had to kind of, you know, with your finger. And, uh, to be able to play a, a, a CD, which I had a little little Walkman. You don't know what those e are either. But uh, you'd put a little CD in there, and of course it would skip. But well, I had this little uh, adapter where I would plug in the Walkman into the cassette player, and it had this funky-looking thing where it looked like a cassette tape, but it wasn't a cassette tape, and it had a wire that would come over to the, the Walkman. And there I am. I'm driving my very first car on the way to my very first class in college, uh, philosophy 101, and, you know, I'm, I'm cruising to my, I want it that way, right? And it kept skipping. 
It kept skipping, you know, over and over and over. And I got really frustrated with it. And, and the thing flew onto the floor. And I reached down to grab the CD player. And what do you know? The light went from green to yellow. And when I look up, the car in front of me had already stopped. It had just rained for the first time in several months. Oil was on the road. It was really slick. I hit the brakes. And I slid from here to the door and hit the car. Didn't have a single dent on the back of the pickup truck that I hit. Absolutely totaled my car. 5% occupancy. Those you get distracted by the people in the car with you. Wreck spectating. 7%. Cell phones, 12%. Daydreaming. 62%. You're just not paying attention you're thinking about what you're going to eat for supper, and that's the fatal crisis. But with, with all of these, you know the one that really jumped out to me was the wreck spectating. That means that 455 people in the last two years have died watching someone else's wreck. It, it, it would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. People are dying because they're paying more attention to the problem of somebody else than what they're doing. Now, what is James saying here? Is James saying that there is no standard? Is he saying that because I'm a sinner and you're a sinner, then that just means that there's no standards for, for anybody? No, that's not what he's saying at all. That ultimately there is a standard. It's God's word. There is a judge. God. And he's already made his judgment. That ultimately the, the focus and the reason why we don't judge one another is not because there is no standard. It's because when we focus on the wrongs of everyone else, we're not focusing on our own life. And that ultimately judging becomes more about being right and being better than everybody else. Because don't we tend to judge people for the offenses that we are not personally doing? That we cut ourselves a whole lot of slack in the things that we struggle with, but in, in the areas that we're pretty good on, that's where we like to kind of bring down the hammer on people. That ultimately, what James is telling us is that there is a judge. There is a standard. But we're not it. That the world isn't judged by how good we are. It's not about comparing ourselves and our life to somebody else because the truth is, is that if you start looking around, you're always going to find somebody who isn't quite as good as you. Now, you'll also find plenty of people who do a whole lot better. But in comparison, all of us have fallen short of the standard of God. And ultimately, what matters is not if we're a little bit above the person standing next to us. 
but the fact that we are so far off of where God wants each of us to be. What is the source of the wars and fights within us? When we start comparing ourselves to other people rather than looking to God, the author and perfecter of our faith. And what ends up happening when all of our focus is put on someone else? We're not watching what we're doing. And we end up getting into the wrecks of life ourselves. Ultimately, what James is telling us is that faith is a struggle between the old nature and the new. That this inner conflict, this war rages on within us and the truth is is that that is a battle that is going to continue until the day that the Lord brings us home. But if we are going to be on the winning side of this battle, there's going to be days where We lose, and there's going to be days where we make some progress. But overall, if we're going to see consistent growth, consistent maturity, then ultimately we can't do that if we're not winning on the battlefields of these three areas. If we don't realize that life really is not just about us. It's about God that our lives are about glorifying Him, that our lives are about serving Him, that our lives are about loving others. And then suddenly when you realize you're standing in this world, that the world it does not revolve around us and what we want and what we think that we need, then we realize where we really are. That we need to humble ourselves and come before the Father as, as broken people who need to be restored. And suddenly now the focus isn't on everyone else around us. It's on the only place that it should be, on our relationship with God. So this morning during this time of invitation, I want to encourage you to to remove all of the distractions around you. Because this isn't about the person who's seated next to you. This isn't about the person who stayed home because of the rain. The person that you're gonna see at work tomorrow or the family member that you're estranged with. That that ultimately, the issue is about a war in the heart. And if the battle is going to be won, it starts here. Perhaps this morning you need to come before the Holy Spirit and ask Him to do a work in your heart and maybe even admit, you know, up until this point, I've had an issue with pride and, and I didn't even want to admit that there was a problem, more or less, that I was at fault. But God, I need you to do a work in me. Help me to 
not worry about everybody else. Deal with my own heart. And however the Holy Spirit speaking to you, respond as we stand and sing. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and
Well, thank you all. Uh, can we close with prayer? Lord God, we just thank you uh, for the blessings that you give us and for the life that you call us to, the freedom that you give to us. And we ask uh, with our whole hearts that you would comfort those in need. And as we leave this place, that we would be lights in the darkness, carrying your love and grace with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. truth will